everyone. Welcome to LA Not So Confidential's Behind the Couch. I'm Dr. Shiloh. I'm here with... Hey, folks. It is Dr. Scott uh, moving my Google sheet over a little bit. Yes. <laughs> Welcome, you guys. Um, hopefully, everybody got a chance to listen to our episode this week because um, we have a really great guest. But before we get started on that, um, just a reminder... Yes. Dr. Shiloh, what's coming up? Well, we have a little um, excursion to Vegas. Shannon, I texted you something we need to stop and look at um, on our trip, (laughs) on our road trip to Vegas. (laughs) Um, So we want you guys to come join us at CrimeCon in Las Vegas last week of April. Um, and if you have not bought your badges yet, you can use the code confidential to get 10% off. Uh, they have started announcing speakers. Um, I'm going to try and keep Dr. Scott from completely stalking Candace DeLong. So I, I don't want you like hanging onto her ankle, let it, like her having to drag you around everywhere. <laughs> but she's going to be speaking um lots of other people looks like a great lineup so far so much of our crawl space family is going to be there and be on podcast row with us so please consider joining it's um especially if you're here in los angeles it is a quick little hop skip and a jump um to just drive there so we would love to see you abby i hope you can make it since it's between your two towns um, other than that, we have a couple of new Patreon members that I would like Yay. to shout out since the last time we were all together. So we have Mary Lee R, Tiffany D, and Jessica A. I think it's Jessica Alba. I think she's a um, Patreon member now. That would um, be great if Jessica Alba, <laughs> if, if Jessica Alba is out there listening to us, can you please give us a shout out on your I mean, how many Twitter followers? She has like... I don't even is, know. She had this whole thing, like she kind of disappeared for just a little bit between projects and went and opened like a baby clothing line. And now she's like one of the richest women in the world. Oh, she... Okay, so she's from this area. She went to one of the local high schools out here. Um, but the year she started The Honest Company is the year that I had my daughter. So 10 years ago now. And I was on board from the beginning. I, we still use Honest Shampoo, but I have the book... I had all the products. I had the diapers. Like, I got a box from the Honest Company every month. So I was a hardcore follower. I had no other uh, real uh, affinity for Jessica Alba before that. But as a new mom, I was all for it. Good for her. (laughs) So thank you to our Patreon members, including Jessica Alba. Um, And we appreciate you so much. Every, Every single one of you. I have some um, January swag packs that are getting ready to go out. We have a couple new stickers. So you guys are getting some new stuff. Um, and yeah, we're also thinking up our swag for CrimeCon. and getting that yes. all lined up. Because we, we want to give you guys really good cool giveaways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I think that's it as far as announcements. Great. Let's. Um, so, just as a recap, our episode this last week was uh, parental alienation syndrome is not a thing, except that it kind of is, but it's not. But it's kind of <laughs> that it could just go on and on and on. Um, it is a very controversial um, 
set of behaviors that leads to a lot of unhappiness. And I am very, very happy to have a very good friend uh, jumping on with us this week, author uh, and licensed marriage and family therapist, Virginia Gilbert. She is a Los Angeles-based marriage and family therapist specializing in high conflict divorce. Now, she's also written extensively about the psychological issues of high conflict divorce and is often interviewed by major media outlets as an expert on this topic. She has a book called Transcending High Conflict Divorce, How to Disengage from Your Ex and Find Your Power. It is available on Amazon. It is a potent, amazing book. And I truly, truly believe, I'm not trying to just give her sales, I think that anyone can benefit from reading this book because there is true power in disengaging from high conflict situations that are not going to be productive. I think she's got some oh, yes. real bits of wisdom there. So Virginia, click the button and come on in. So while she's doing that, um, you know, we just a little recap when we talked about parental alienation syndrome, it was coined, it was a term coined in the eighties. Um, it was something that um, has not been empirically proven. <laughs> um, and something yet again that we have added to our list of things that people start giving labels to um, that even though these behaviors may exist doesn't really rise to that level of disordered type behavior so Scott I have figured out a TikTok for you and I to do by the way of disorders that don't exist okay <laughs> it's gonna be fantastic we'll do it in Vegas welcome Virginia and Hello. Hello, Dr. Scott. Hello, Dr. Shiloh. Hi. Good to see you. It's so exciting have, to be here. I really, I've been trying to get you on for literally years. Uh, yes. And I'm so excited that you're here. I do want to do a full disclaimer. Like I have known Virginia for almost two decades when she was a youngster, just a, a, a young, so young. nubile uh, yes. ingenue here in Los Angeles. <laughs> and we had a very weird meeting. We were in grad school at the same time. She was finishing up as I was starting. And I was your volunteer for psych testing. I was going to ask if it was oh, okay no. to, give, to, to announce your results. <laughs> to oh, yes. please. <laughs> in, case, in case no one knew, Scott is really smart. He's scary Aww. smart. Oh, and I you know also that. have good impulse control for what, from what I remember. Well, that oh. would, I think you could probably take that up with a few former employers <laughs> that would beg to differ. But, I think that um, goes away with age. It comes uh, with age, but then it goes away with age at some probably, point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, that was great because as, as Virginia was sitting in my haunted Hollywood apartment uh, administering these tests, we started realizing that not only were we sort of from the same area, one of my best friends, the best friend of my first boyfriend in high school was your college roommate. Yes. Uh, when yes. you were getting your BA. I mean, we it weren't was just roommates, a... but we were good friends. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And she we, was in we, my and circle. It's yeah. Vanessa Dawn and we see Vanessa Dawn together. Hi, Vanessa. In town. Hi, Vanessa. Listening. Hopefully you're <laughs> So it was really cool connecting with somebody and, and you really kind of i think in a really valuable way showed me the ropes of the reality of being in grad school um because part of the thing about being in any form of grad school is you don't even you can start to pursue that path but you don't even know what questions to ask until you're about halfway through the program for sure and and you really 
you really helped me out with that. So thank Aww. you. Great. <laughs> so already somebody says they need to know what your lipstick shade is, Virginia, because oh, it's going it's, viral apparently. I wish, oh, it is, hold on. <laughs> it she has it right there. I love it. It's Jack of Scarlet. It's, and it's online and I don't, even with glasses, I can't make That's this out. I think it's Coco. Coco. Oh, my Jack of Scarlet. Wow. You're, yeah. You are you are intertwined with Scott. Scott would have like his face cream right next to him too if someone was asking. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it's so great to have you here. Um, we're, we've been ramping up for this. And yes, I do remember Scott, like every time you have a New Year's party, we're like talking with Virginia about the podcast about like, where are we gonna intertwine this? And we finally, what, five years later found a <laughs> Topic. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if anybody is, I mean, certainly listen through this, you're going to get a lot of great information, but I'm going to start by circling back around to our episode this week. And I'm going to start with a question for Virginia so that you can clarify some of the terms that we may have skirted around that are actually more integral to the type of work that you do with people who exhibit these kind of behaviors. Can you kind of take us on a, a trip with yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I thought your um, episode last week was brilliant. I feel like I really Thank learned you. a lot. I loved how you guys kind of broke down the history of parental alienation syndrome. I want to say that I actually don't think of parental alienation syndrome cases as divorce cases. I see them as domestic violence cases. Wow. And I think that's where all this legal maneuvering has taken us is that it's, it, you know, perhaps an antisocial person who convinces the court that their ex is out for revenge when the ex is really trying to protect a child who is legitimately in danger. So um, it's terrible what's gone on in family court. There's been so many cases of kids being returned to an abusive parent and really bad things happening. There's actually a big movement, a family, um, family law reform movement going on. There's some really powerful women behind it. Tina Swithin is one of them, and she's really helping to educate the family court system. So. I'm so glad that you talked about this last week. Uh, so what I, I don't deal with parental alienation syndrome. I deal with high conflict divorce. Um, but when I, when I talk about high conflict divorce, I think it's really important to have a nuanced conversation. And I feel like in general, the conversation in this country has gotten so divisive and so binary and people have a hard time with nuance. And yeah. so I don't want to, when I talk about this, I don't, I really want to get into the nuance and I want to be careful about how I say things. Well, um, let me, let me jump in then, because this is a great part of the conversation that you had when we started setting this up is that as a psychologist, um, a lot of the work that I do, I, I have been, um, I have been corrected very wonderfully many times to go, don't go so quick to label. Don't go so quick to diagnose when that's not the most important thing. That's the, e the diagnosis is the easy thing when yeah. we really should be focusing on the behaviors. And exactly. I like that, that you clocked me very gently in the same way. Yeah. I appreciated that. 
So I yeah. think that's kind of what you're talking about here is we have to have a nuanced conversation about behaviors. Exactly. And so I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't want to say that alienation isn't a thing because alienation is a thing. Mm-hmm. What alienation is, it's its primitive ego defenses. It's splitting, it's projection, and it's triangulation. And uh, those are always present to some degree in high conflict divorce. Well, they, now, might, they, they might even be present in healthy relationships. Exactly. <laughs> you could have intact marriages where, where that's going on. Yeah. Um, so it's important to acknowledge that it does occur. Now, why is it occurring? Is it occurring because somebody is Machiavellian in their attempts to kind of scorched earth, destroy their ex and mm-hmm. co-opt the children? Or is it happening because somebody is a little not self-conscious enough that they're so married to being right and they are the only one that knows what's best for their child, that they are engaging in alienating behaviors, which are definitely damaging to children. Hmm. So that's kind of what I want to tease out. Um, I want to get into what, like how, how high conflict divorce develops, like what drives it. Um, so I'm going to launch into that if that's okay. Yeah, yeah definitely. And okay. Can you, in this, are you going to sort of define what high conflict divorce yeah. is? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. So high conflict divorce always involves certain behaviors. It starts with a preoccupation with blame. So the other person is to blame for everything, is to blame for the problems in the marriage, is to blame for any problems that the children have. So high conflict personalities often have like a history of blaming people. They come from family feuds or they don't get along with the neighbors or, you know, they sued somebody. They're not getting along with coworkers. So there is kind of a a high conflict personality that is just always looking for blame. But I, but I don't think it has to be somebody that, that, that is that um, ingrained with blaming behaviors. I think you can just be part of a bad divorce and get really caught up in needing to prove that you're right and your ex is wrong. The other traits are um, extreme behaviors. So, for instance, we're seeing that play out right now over social media with a really prominent celebrity divorce case. Someone has gone way off the rails and is saying crazy stuff, uh, broadcasting to the world, terrifying. I, you know, to me, that's sort of trending into the DV area. So I don't want to talk about it that much, but those are extreme behaviors. Uh, The other trait is unmanaged emotions. So somebody who just has a really hard time regulating their nervous system. So they might have a hard time regulating their nervous system because they have trauma and divorce is inherently traumatic. Um, There could be mood disorder issues at play. It could be features of personality disorders, but they always have unmanaged emotions. One of the other traits is black and white thinking. So all the good is with me. All the good is with anyone who agrees with me. All the bad is with my ex and anybody who agrees with my ex. Um, Another trait is inflexible thinking. 
So that means there's only one way to solve a problem and it's my way. Like, it's not okay for you to have 65% custody. I will only give you, you know, 70% custody. Yeah, That's that rigidity. Really rigid. Um, the person who sort of defined all of this is someone named Bill Eddy, and he is head of the High Conflict Institute. And if people are really interested in high conflict in general, not just divorce, his uh, website and resources are amazing. So he, he really defined the high conflict personality. What I see um, is also that th one thing that I think really drives high conflict divorce is that people get kind of addicted to the conflict. People are very addicted to being right. They are addicted to the pursuit of justice. And there was a family law attorney who told me once, he said, you know, my clients go to family court thinking they're going to get justice and they usually don't get justice, but they always get answers. And I think that is so brilliant because if you are determined to get justice in your divorce, you can be obsessed for a very long time and never, and never get justice oh, in your that divorce. Is so impactful. That's pretty profound. Yeah. I would, yeah. I would want to add on to that too. I mean, in, in my clinical work and private practice, I can get, I, I experience a, a version of that with clients who have been hurt in relationships or traumatized in relationships. And they just want to know why, why yes. did he, why did he treat oh. me this way? Why yes. did she treat me this way? Why did she, why, 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 why? And I have to over and over again, say, if, if we could if we could get the concrete objective answer as to why he or she did this and i was to bring it to you on a platter it would not be enough mm -hmm. and it wouldn't the, change anything it wouldn't change anything until right. you start doing the internal work which is building up an, a, your own healthy ego and your own healthy defense system right. to deal with like you're saying critical thinking self-awareness self-consciousness because right. that seems to all get pushed to the side when people get pulled into this right exactly and i have those conversations with clients a lot um the other thing that i think people get addicted to is they have what i call toxic hope they have this hope that they can somehow give their ex an epiphany so like if i can just come up with the right assortment of words and compose the perfect email that will point out the error of their ways and they will change their personality and they will change the way that they parent the children, then my life will be great. Then my kids' lives will be great. And this drives so much conflict because never ever have I seen a parent respond favorably to being told they don't know what they're doing by another parent. It really just keeps conflict going. So it's besides these cluster of high conflict traits, it's also this addictive um, kind of mechanism where people are just, they want justice, they want to be right, and they want to give their ex an epiphany. Wow. I, that is very similar to what, what you and I were talking about. Was it on the last episode or I can't remember what it was. We were talking about betrayals 
and, you know, when there's sort of infidelity or some other type of betrayal and the way that people dig in and, and can't get out of moving forward because in some cases they are right or they were the victim. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, it doesn't seem fair, right? Like, why do I have mm. to do all this work to meet this person halfway? That's the one that did this. Um, and I could see that just being an endless loop and all, a lot of endless loops that you're describing. Yeah. I, you know, as I'm listening to both of you speak, it, it dawned on me too. I mean, in a way I can draw a parallel to grief, you know, mm. like oh. grief, you're something is dying the real or maybe dying is the wrong word but something is being lost your idea yeah it's lost it's the the loss Mm -hmm. of the idea of what the relationship was going to be who you were going to be in that relationship who you were going to be as a partner as a parent all of that and it's grief and if you don't address your grief it becomes very rigid in itself you know you can't get out of it yeah well thank you for saying that because i think that uh, high conflict divorce keeps people from moving through the grief process. So like this pursuit of justice and this pursuit of if I can just change my ex or this rumination over why did they do this, it keeps you from moving through the grief stage or the phases of grief. Um, So what I one thing that I work with people on a lot is getting to radical acceptance because you don't have to like what your ex does. Now, I mean, obviously, if there's legitimate cause for uh, concern, if you really feel like your children are in danger, then you've got to step in. But you can't, uh, you just can't change your ex's personality and you can't extract their DNA from your children so that they don't have a connection to this parent. And trying to do that, like not accepting that this is, you know, this is my children's parent. I I wish she wasn't, or I wish she wasn't, but they are. And I need to support my children's relationship with that parent. That's going to keep you stuck. So radical acceptance is, these are my circumstances. I wish they were different, but they're not. What are the things that I can actually control? Because it's never my ex. It's always my own behaviors. And owning your own emotions, right? I'm having all these emotions. I'm having this experience. I'm going to take responsibility for what my experience is. And I'm going to, I'm going to use the tools in my toolbox rather than making somebody else, even though they may be actively doing things to try and fuck things up for you. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like just because somebody says something nasty to you, you do not have to respond in kind. Just because you have a feeling doesn't mean you have to act out the feeling. So it. Mm-hmm. Well, that is interesting because that is one of, okay, when you say don't act in kind, I immediately go to the gray rock technique. Yes. Which is how is one of the ways if you are involved in a relationship with someone who is a malignant or toxic narcissist, you are always encouraged to be a gray rock, be boring, be non-reactive, because that way you don't feed the conflict. So can you talk a little bit like one of the things that you clocked me on, which was so elegantly done. I love when I can be 
corrected and educated by my friends and not be triggered. <laughs> so thank you. But the idea of like not labeling people as narcissists all the time, but like just yes. sort of talking about the behaviors. Can you yes. differentiate that stuff? For yeah. So it's funny because I have some friends who are family law attorneys and we all joke that, I mean, I hate to make this into a gender thing, but you know, the husbands come in and my wife is borderline. And the wives come in and they say, my husband's a narcissist. So if 30 to 50% of the population gets divorced, it is not statistically possible that every one of those people has a personality disorder. It oh, just my, case, my caseload would argue with you. <laughs> they all say that. That's everything that happens. Yeah. And they're all pops. Ah, uh, <laughs> okay. I have a bunch of pops that choose, that are narcissists and choose borderline partners. Mm, no, I'm kidding, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. I hear you. Yeah. And, you know, it's the narcissism is such a buzzword. It is plastered across the internet. It is in the zeitgeist. And I think we need to really explore the nuance of narcissism because there's narcissistic personality disorder where you have to meet criteria to have this very fixed diagnosis. So personality disorder is you have a rigid worldview and a fixed set of behaviors that probably don't change. But there's a spectrum, right? So there's a whole bunch of degrees down. And, you know, I think we all have some narcissistic traits. I think, you know, when we feel abandoned, we can all be a little borderline from time to time. That doesn't mean we're pathological. It doesn't mean we have the full diagnosis. Um, I also think that divorce is so destabilizing and so traumatizing that people, you know, all their weaknesses are like on steroids. So you're acting in, in a very sort of distorted version of yourself. And so if you have an ex who, who like has sort of freeze framed you at your worst and have a hard time seeing that you could be different with other people or you could evolve, um, you can just kind of classify that person as, yeah, they have NPD. Um, I also want to say that sometimes somebody can be a jerk. And not, and not a narcissist. Like you can be selfish and self-absorbed, but not fundamentally exploitive. And so I think we just have to be really careful when we use the word narcissist. Are we talking about features of, or are we talking mm -hmm. about the, you know, a personality disorder? Yeah, I, it, it is. It's, it's all over the place. Um, you know, there's, some wonderful, it, it's sort of that double-edged sword because Abby knows this because she and I have talked about it. She's in our chat today, but you know, there's a lot of therapists on social media with sort of these little sound bites, which is which we take in all of our information that way right now. Um, there's some really great stuff out there with some really good, smart, informative people that are just nailing it. And there's people that I don't know, like I, I don't know anything about this person that is shoving some information out yeah. into the TikTok world. So I, I do think that um, circling back to critical thinking that we need to know what information we're digesting and taking in and then not slapping that label on partners because it fits in the moment. But like you're saying, 
there should be for a disorder or a, a diagnosis there's probably a long pre-existing pattern of these behaviors it's not like it's just going to pop up because right. of a breakup or a divorce right you know exactly. i there's a i love the website quora um for anybody that's not familiar with it q u o r a it is a wonderful website where really well reasoned incredibly intelligent people will answer You're gonna all sorts of questions. You're going to talk about Eleanor Greenberg? Well, I love Eleanor. I yeah. mean, Eleanor is, is great. Um and she is like I feel like I you can get a grad school education by reading a lot of how she writes about. And that's a yeah. she's a psychologist on the East Coast, writes about narcissism a lot and her her upbringing was hell. I mean, she had a really really very much a malignant narcissist for a father. But there's another one that is sort of like this um, uh, narcissism page. And you'll see very wounded and very angry and upset and and um, hurt people ask questions like, what's the best way to hurt a narcissist? And, you know, some people will chime in with some things that are quite manipulative and actually wouldn't hurt a lot of people because they aren't going to be defended in that narcissistic way, but really would hurt the narcissist. And I always love when someone pushes back, when someone goes, why do you care? Exactly. Move on, move yeah. on, live your best life, learn what you need to learn about yourself, be a good parent, be a good kid, be a great friend and leave them behind, move on. This is not about a scorched earth policy, which I think is what can happen. And I wanted to kind of use that as a, eventually, I mean, I want to give you, I want to follow your lead, but I don't want to get too far afield of, I want to ask you, how is it that the parents lose sight mm -hmm. of the best interests of their children? Yeah. How is that possible? Yeah. Um, so let's get into that because that is so important. I think that, I think that there are parents who, legitimately think that they are right and they are the only parent who knows what to do for that child. They don't like how the other parent parents and um, they communicate to the child either directly or indirectly that the other parent is a crappy parent. Um, I have seen parents almost get into fisticuffs about homework supervision. Uh, flaming hot Cheetos went in the lunchbox and not edamame. And this is evidence of all kinds of things. Uh, it's like it, and it, something like that can get a fr framed at, you know, how dare you feed our child crap? You're poisoning our child. It suddenly becomes yeah, so heightened you know yeah and again you know we're talking about degrees should you put flaming hot cheetos in the lunchbox no is it does it raise does it rise to the you know the level of actual abuse no and you know somebody can be maybe not the greatest supervisor of homework but be a very emotionally attuned parent so you know, when you think you're right and you, you've written the book on parenting, you, you know, you miss the goods, the good qualities in the other parent that are different than yours. Um, 
One thing that I see that happens a lot is that the the parent who feels that they're right gets very concerned about what's going on in the other house. And so they will communicate, again, either directly or indirectly to the child, if you don't like what dad is doing or what mom is doing, you let me know and I'll fix it for you. So then you've got a kid who's ratting out the other parent, stops feeling like that parent is an authority figure in their own home and aligns with this parent to kind of defeat the other parent. Um, And what's really sort of heartbreaking about this is I think a lot of times the vulnerable children get pulled into this. And when I say vulnerable, I mean, you know, maybe you have a kid who's sort of struggling socially. They're having trouble academically. They haven't really found their tribe. And they feel like uh, they have sort of a purpose in aligning with one parent against the other. And it is a way to kind of contain anxiety. I know what's right. You know, mom or dad is right. And my other parent is wrong. And I think that um, a lot of times there's parents who just feel abandoned by a child who might be enjoying being with the other parent. So there's a lot of, you know, kind of disapproval if a child comes back from visitation and appeared to have a good time with the other parent. And how awful for the kid too, that the kid then internalizes like, oh, I can't share that I had a good time. I have to manage my parents' emotions for them. Totally. Uh, Feeling very burdened. There's a lot of parents who are, you know, just are open about bad mouthing, you know, treat the child as a therapist or treat the child as like, we're going to team up together and, you know, figure out how to, you know, control the other parent. So, you know, it may start off from genuinely a place of concern, but it it is so damaging because a child needs to feel that they can love both parents. They need to feel that uh, they have equal access to both parents. And if they're getting the message that it's not okay to be with one parent, Um, or only one parent is right. It's teaching them terrible relationship skills. Um, Another thing that happens, like if if you're communicating through your child about the other parent, you're setting up a triangle situation. So I often advise when I've got these high conflict co-parents and one person is really meddling um, and saying a lot of things that aren't true to the child instead of mounting a defense with the child which will just kind of get back into that tug of war i really talk about your job is to teach your kid relationship skills and critical thinking skills so if if i think instead of kind of mounting a whole defense about this is why mom is wrong is to say you know I don't really know why mom said what she said, but if you have a problem with me, come to me because it's it's between us and we'll work it out. And you want to create a safe space for the child. So say you can come to me if you're angry, you can come to me if you're sad, whatever feelings you're having, 
are fine, but let's, you know, let's work it out. So that is one way to kind of get your kid out of the triangle and teach them about kind of direct and appropriate communication. Um, in terms of teaching critical thinking skills, Again, you don't want to get into sort of defending, sort of defending your position about the other parent or diagnosing the other parent. Well, your dad has NPD or your mother has BPD. You just want to talk about, you know, is there another way to look at something? You know, how do you feel about this situation? You want to give your child permission to kind of think their own thoughts and you know, back to why is this so damaging to children? The task of adolescence is individuation, right? It's your own identity. It's, hmm, I, I think differently than my parents. But if, if your childhood is um, kind of torpedoed by all these battles with your parents, it's hard to go through that developmental task of individuation because you're you feel pulled to take a side you start to question your reality so what so, happens what ha like in your experience what happens when this all starts there's one two three kids involved you know and it's now 15 years later and that kid has enough critical thinking and has enough perspective to realize oh crap i was played so how, well, how as what how do you how do you what would you say to a parent that is now on the receiving end of someone coming to them going I understand what was happening now You know I would say you don't get victorious and go aha finally you see you see the reality of the other parent you say I love you I'm so sorry. This was so, this was so hard. I'm sorry you had to go through this. I'm sorry mom or dad and I couldn't make things better for you. Um, I don't want you to feel upset with yourself that you were angry with me. It makes total sense. Let's work on repairing our relationship. So, cause I think a lot of kids feel guilty. Sure. I think only imagine it would be an overwhelming amount of guilt yeah and i want to mention uh i do want to mention amy jl baker i think you might have had her as a resource in your last episode yeah. is that she actually she's a psychologist and she is a parental alienation expert and she has done longitudinal studies of adult children of parental alienation so she's interviewed adults in their 30s and 40s who who will then say yeah i feel like i grew up in a cult you know mm -hmm. my mom like my the dad, mind control total mind control i was fed propaganda yeah. Yeah. and i totally believed it you know mom or dad was scary i didn't feel like i could disagree with them or i really started to believe it and sometimes you know in in those really severe situations one parent will just they'll just totally withdraw because it's just too hard to try to have a relationship with the child and the child wants nothing to do with them. Um, and there's been kids, adult kids who will say, I really wanted mom or dad to keep fighting for me. Mm. 
I thought they should know. That's what, heartbreaking when you hear yeah. that. Because that's such a double bind for the parent that doesn't want to increase the conflict, right? They want to try and manage this bizarre environment and then... But they can't control what happens when that kid can't. leaves their house. Oh. No, no. And, you know, sometimes I have to talk to parents, especially if there's, you know, an adolescent who really does not want to see them because they've been so poisoned. I talk about, you know, maybe strategically you want to stop fighting for custody. You know, maybe you write a letter. If, if minors counsel is involved, you give the letter to minors counsel so you know your child will read it and you'll explain why you're not fighting for custody anymore and that you may not be able to see the child. It's not because you don't love them, but you can't continue to put them in the middle of a war zone and you're going to give them back the power. When they're ready to see you, the door is always open. Um, you're, you're not abandoning them. You just feel like you just can't keep subjecting them to this ongoing battle. I, I just want to say that I mean, aside from our long-term friendship and my utter admiration for you um, doing this project and, and taking up this such this specific niche, which needs so much support in the community, um, I have a colleague at work, a wonderful, wonderful person that was going through an absolutely horrific time that was so horrific that I stopped believing it. Like I stopped, I was like, this can't be real. This, this really cannot be at the level that this person is expressing that it is. And then one day they were upset and we sit right next to each other. And I said, what's going on? And they turned to me and said, all I asked for was, is it okay if I give an extra bag for Christmas. Is it okay if I give? And this is what I got back. And it was literally the response back on this person's phone was a, a text that went on for three pages that was the most yeah. condescending, manipulative language to as a re, as a response to the most innocuous thing. Hey, I just wanted to do this. Yeah. Is it okay? Is it okay with you? Like asking permission. And this person goes, This is what I deal with. And yeah. That was also the person that I then connected with you mm -hmm. and you gave them great tools for dealing with a, a situation that now as the children are both reaching maturity and the age of 18, there's where there is an open fertile ground mm. for a healthy relationship now. So oh, I'm glad. You, you are touching people's lives through your book mm. and through the consultations you do. I mean, it's such valuable work. Oh, thank you. Um, I also want to, can we talk about communication for a minute? Absolutely. So, so much of the conflict goes on through email and text. And I'm going to refer to Bill Eddy, who's the, the person who runs the High Conflict Institute, because he came up with a really brilliant acronym for how to communicate with high conflict people. So it, it doesn't even have to be somebody you're divorced from. It could be a parent. It could be... Uh, you know, someone in your neighborhood. It's really easy to get pulled into a fight if somebody emails you something really hostile. 
it's really easy to be kind of reactive or like defend your position. You don't want to do any of any of that. So if you have an, a high conflict ex and you got to communicate with them because you're co-parents, you always want to be brief. So if they send you like a 500 word single space email listing all of your problems, but really buried in there is, you know, when is Sally's dentist appointment? You ignore all the other stuff and say, Sally's dentist appointment is four o'clock on Tuesday. Can you take her? So you make it brief. You make your correspondence informative. So like, think like a reporter. It's just facts. It's just logistics. So there's no advice. There's no subjective. There's no, this is how I feel. It's just information. Then, so it's B-I-F-F. So the third letter stands for a friendly tone. Now I personally, my hat's off to Bill Eddy because I think he's brilliant, but I think having a friendly tone with somebody who's trying to destroy you might be a stretch. So I say go for neutral. So that means you're not sarcastic. You're not having it. I love that you're making that distinction, Virginia, because being friendly is it has a, more of a chance of um, being interpreted as condescending. Yes. Yes. Oh, tr- yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And things, it's so easy to misinterpret texts and emails. Oh, God, anyway. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thoughtful. So, so then the fourth letter is F, which stands for firm. So I see a lot of waffling going back and forth with these emails. There's a lot of negotiation. So set a limit and that's it. And if you, and if you get somebody who's trying to steamroll you and we got to change this, it's you've set a limit. You know, I, I understand that you want to change uh, timeshare weekends, but we're going to stick with the court order. So, so it's really important to have a strategy for communicating with high conflict people. It will help minimize the conflict. And I think a lot of times there'll be somebody who's fairly reasonable, but they're doing things kind of unwittingly the way they're saying things. Like it could be they're, you know, they're being really friendly or maybe they're talking too much about their feelings. That kind of thing could just invite more drama. So it helps to have a strategy when you're, talking to one of these people. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I have some parties that I'm working with where the only form of communication that what they have gotten down to because it's been so high conflict is like this court approve app. And I'm sure our you're family wizard. Yeah. 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 And it's like it, when it's gotten so bad that there needs to basically be this document that can yeah. be viewed by the court and everyone sees it for what it is it just it it's like it's gotten to such a sad place and these are great strategies because i because i have you know a couple clients who have to use that i'm thinking about all of them and i don't want them to have to get to that point but these are they're they're very common sense but also some people just need to hear here's your your four things you have to remember every time you hit send yeah Absolutely. Mike was off. I was talking, talking, talking. Um, so, you know, our our podcast, one of the things when I tried to get you on a few years ago, you were like, but I, I'm not involved in any crimes. <laughs> <Or> like, 
but I I'm think still that not. It, you're still not, thankfully. Um, Personally, right? <laughs> right. But right. I do, circling back to what you started off with, which completely, I, I was not really part of my consciousness when we were doing this, is that we're talking about in, uh, domestic violence, and it may not be physical violence, although it could turn into that. But we're talking about emotional, intimate partner violence and manipulation. And have you, in the work that you've done, had moments of sort of wide-eyed understanding that maybe this relationship is moving towards that? Or have you heard of things that, you know, from your perspective are verging on criminal? No. I, I haven't. I don't. I don't work with that level of dysfunction. I I certainly have had cases where there will be, um, you know, one parent who kind of lost their shit and did something really inappropriate, but it wasn't part of a pervasive pattern of antisocial behavior. That okay. That's a really great distinction. Can you talk about that then more? So yeah, yeah. So a pervasive pattern of antisocial behavior is somebody has problems with the law. Somebody has problems with money. Some you know they violate the rights of others and they don't have remorse. Um, there are unfortunately people like that who are parents and bad things happen. There's also you know somebody who maybe they just for their own family of origin issues and maybe they had an addiction problem they just weren't great parents during the marriage but they weren't violent and then but maybe there was you know I mean I'm thinking about some cases there was you know one incident where they lost their shit and they pushed a kid not okay of course it's not okay but that doesn't mean that they're gonna, you know, that doesn't mean that they're inherently a violent person, that they're an antisocial person. And so I've, I've worked with cases where that person, the person who really was not a very good parent, figured their shit out. They, you know, spent a lot of time in individual therapy. They went to anger management. They went to a 12-step group. They really have redeemed themselves and What's sad is when the other parent is still back in that place where they just, they believe that the ex is violent and should have nothing to do with the kids. So that's what I see. But I have not worked with somebody where I thought, wow, that this is somebody who absolutely should not have custody. Well, I'm glad to hear that actually. I'm, I'm relieved because, uh, you know, certainly in the, in researching for our shows, Shiloh and I will generally be seeing the worst of the worst Yeah, where, you know, it turns into a, a Betty Broderick type situation. And even yeah. the, even the, um, the examples that we used in this week's show, you know, we've talked about, um, we talked about a, a, a famous case that it, Part of the challenge is, is that we're acknowledging that PAS um, or malicious parent syndrome or whatever is the most recent term is generally looks like it's being used to marginalize women for the most part. And unfortunately, a lot of judges are falling for it and that it gets to be just this go to defense in order to 
um, marginalized someone and has resulted in a couple of the cases that we saw where uh, parents who had actually sexually abused their children ended up getting yeah. custody, which mm -hmm. is just a, a horrible, horrible outcome. But it seems like coming back to it, um, this is all about sort of personal awareness and checking yourself along the entire process. If you're not to the malignant, toxic level of dysfunction where you probably were that long before you ever came into the relationship versus people that maybe either do have a chance to be together but need to learn better communication skills, but they just went awry sometime or some way. Um, yeah. Have you felt like you've been found insights and roads towards bringing people back together at least to a level of understanding maybe they're not getting the relationship back together but what do you think is what can what is the most important tool for getting people back on track yeah so i definitely have had that happen i think it happens when both people are really committed to doing the best thing for the child um but so what i do is uh I work a lot with people on their affect regulation skills, meaning their ability to kind of understand what's going on with their nervous system and calm themselves down. So, cause I find that a lot of people are trying to communicate when their sympathetic nervous system is in overdrive. So we spend a lot of time just working on an affect regulation and me sort of describing, because I, if I see people in conflict right away, I see them individually for a time until I feel like they have the tools to regulate themselves during a session. So I'll say, this is what I'm seeing. And I think, you know, because you're sort of in fight or flight, you're, you're having heightened responses to things that don't really rise to the level of the response. And this is what I suggest you do to calm down. And this is a way I think you can speak more effectively so you can get the other person to listen, so you can feel understood. And I always tell people, you don't have to agree with your ex. You can think they're crazy, but you still can validate that this is how they feel. Mm -hmm. You can be respectful. So I think if people are willing to A, work on their affect regulation skills and learn how to communicate um, in an effective way, then they can begin to see each other a little differently and they can build a different history with each other. Like, oh, now we're moving forward. We're having a different kind of relationship. So when people do that, I really see positive change, but I will have to say it generally is with people who who really understand that putting the kid in the middle of fighting and having the kid witness conflict is not something they're going to do. So it does take a certain amount of self-awareness. And, um, you know, I also think of divorce as sort of a meditation and everything that's wrong with you. People think it's a meditation and everything that's wrong with their ex, but it's also really a meditation and everything that's wrong with you. Like, well, that's oh, that's profound. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the universe is giving me an opportunity to work on some of my character defects. Um, you know, and for people who really stick around in therapy, we we do a whole personal growth piece because in order to be able to move out of that conflict and have it not define your life, you you 
you've got a personal growth journey and that can, you know, that involves moving through the grief process and figuring out how do you want to live a meaningful life and, and provide a good life for your children. That's not so defined by conflict and having to choose sides and all of that craziness. So if you're working at, let's just say someone has come to you and they've learned a bunch of skills for insight and what they may have been contributing to as far as conflict, and they're ready now to do the work and their kid comes to them with, with drama, with nothing that reaches the level of domestic violence, nothing that reaches like a clinical reporting level or any kind of criminality, but it is triggering for your client what do you tell them when the, when the kid is stressed out about the conflict between the parents what how do you advise them to counsel their child without entering into splitting or triangulation yeah so again it's just about creating a safe space for that child to talk to you um so what is it that's troubling them you know what is what is mom or dad doing that's, you know, making you upset? And sometimes, you know, there really isn't anything to be done, you know? So mom or dad's kind of controlling. It's you sort of empower the child to maybe they need to find a way to speak up with their parent mm -hmm. and advocate for themselves. Now, sometimes if you've got a narcissistic parent or a borderline -y parent, I would not really get into giving the child the idea they're going to be able to change their parents mind you know so sometimes it's other kind of strategies um what That's are ways difficult to maneuver so is it about helping your kid understand what their self-soothing and self-regulation skills are yeah or what are things that they can actually control um you know i thinking of a situation where uh, there was court ordered, court ordered phone conversations that were supposed to happen. And one parent was not facilitating the phone conversations. And I said, and the child was like young and, and the parent didn't want to get this child a cell phone. I was like, get them a cell phone so that, and teach them, you know, how to dial. And so they can call you when they, when they need to. Um, because, you know, no judge is going to be able to show up at a parent's door and say, you better, you better, you know, have that kid on the phone at seven o'clock every night. So like, what are the things you can do to empower the child? Because you're not going to be able to change what goes on in the other parent's house. I like that building on the child's individual strengths and, and letting them. Unfortunately, maybe they're going to be parentified in a way that is not the most optimal trajectory for child development, but giving them tools to know that they're not crazy yeah. it can save them a lot of drama and, and coming to me for therapy 15 years yeah. later. <laughs> right. Seriously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is also the radical acceptance piece. It's like, uh, okay, this is the other parent, but I think if you are modeling resilience and grace under adversity your your kids watching that and your kids yes. gonna pick that up because there's just so there's so many situations in life that suck and you can't change so yeah, you can definitely control I, your I, own choices 
I think we talk about modeling a lot when I work with clients that are going through these situations and also uh, so from everything you talked about their emotional regulation um, just working on themselves to show up to be the best parent because you know what I try to help them with is your identity has now completely shifted from a uh, husband or wife spouse and parent to now parent you can put all the effort that you were putting in there over here now, and it's going to pay dividends down the line with the kiddos. But I think it is hard to have those conversations of one day, you know, depending on the age of the kids, it's going to click for them of as long as you're providing a safe place for them, a loving place for them, they'll figure it out. It's just, it's going to be a waiting game, unfortunately, a lot of the times. Yeah. But I think if the child has one parent, that's a source of comfort. Mm-hmm. then there's still a win because you, oh, can, have an, you can have an intact family where either parent yeah. is a source of comfort. Totally. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah. Oh, that's the, yeah. Which is definitely not the best case scenario right yeah. there. An intact <laughs> yeah. family where neither parent is a source of <laughs> and comfort. And then you're really that, stuck. <laughs> oh, that's a horrible situation. Yeah. Well, Virginia, I, I can't believe how quickly our hour has I gone. <laughs> I, I feel like this has been so helpful and so um, profound. And I, we have a, a, a portion of our website where we have our picks. It ranges from the best under eye cream to the best high conflict divorce books. So your book will definitely your book- be on our list. Yeah, I'm awesome. putting it in the chat again. I'm going to get a copy. Thank for you. Because awesome. this is going to be wonderful. Um, so people can find you and people can find the book. Great. Thank you so much. So thank you so much. And um, we will see if we can find you another place to come on and use your I would love extensive to. wisdom. We really appreciate yeah. it. Okay. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, you guys. Say, everybody, thank you. This has been a very um, different episode from what we usually do, a little bit more structured, and yet I feel like a a lot more intense in in some ways. This is some great In a lot of ways. And a lot of, it's touching a lot of people. You know, I I know there's people um, who have been in the chat talking about their own experiences and current situations and- you know, I'm sure there are people that um, this is touching that aren't saying it, but that's that's fine. And I just see, I think that will um, be exponential once we have this out to all of our Patreon and then eventually on YouTube. So it'll be super informative. Thank you so much, Virginia, for your time. 